0: We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government.
1: The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands.
0: Former chief of our community had the vision to sign, uh, and the guts, to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. The good thing about land code, we don't have
1: to sell it. It sells itself. Welcome to the podcast, Tim Raybold.
0: Hello, how are you?
1: Excellent. Good, good. Nice to have you back again for another chat. Good to be back. We have the luxury of getting you before you address the 600 delegates here. Uh, in a nutshell, you're talking about First Nations courts. What's the issue you really want to talk about today?
0: Well, there's a there's a need for uh, Indigenous uh, groups, for Indigenous self-governments to be able to have access to effective and efficient mechanisms to have matters that are arising out of their laws, coming out of their laws, to be heard in a court or court-like body. There's other bodies, not just a formal court, administrative bodies. And there's a lot of concern that we don't have that in place today in the way that it should be moving forward as more First Nations, more Indigenous groups move towards self-government, moving away from governance under you know, colonial instruments like the Indian Act.
1: How many communities are actually becoming self governing in Canada? do we have a, a figure on that
0: yeah so like, currently today there are uh, a number of um indigenous uh, communities that have negotiated uh self government arrangements with Canada, and those are done through uh through agreements there are uh you know d- depending on how you sort of do the the calculations there's uh i think you know twenty seven approximately twenty seven indigenous groups representing 52 communities that are self-governing, uh, and that's inside and outside of land claims. A lot of these self-government arrangements are are included in a sort of in a package dealing with land and so forth, where Canada hadn't historically negotiated a, a treaty with an Indigenous group. And then there are groups, and this is why we're here today. There are, there are many more, like hundreds of other First Nations that are involved in what we call sectoral governance initiatives. So not full self-government, not sort of comprehensive self-government, but self-government dealing with issues like lands. So we're dealing with lands today. Others, you know, are dealing with fiscal matters and, and have jurisdiction over, over over taxation, property taxation. And there's nations that are, you know, beginning to make recognized laws under their inherent authority over child and family, right? So there's these sectoral governance initiatives. So um, so we see more, there's more groups of Indigenous peoples that are needing access to uh, to courts. And so the question is, which court, right? So in Canada, we have... A number of different courts, so federally the, the federal government is have responsibility for the, for the criminal courts and so forth, and for appointment of so judges to see, to superior courts, but the provinces basically control the courts in practice right and have them, and they 're all different in every province so so but and for the most part, first nations under the Indian act uh, who 've been governing, i think i have have had to make use of the uh, the provincial courts and so forth but the question is is what is the space what is the need for more appropriate courts that are indigenous courts and it's a pretty big question it's a pretty fundamental question so of those self government agreements that uh, we were just talking about only a handful of them actually make provision for an indigenous court the self government arrangements in the yukon the 11 self self governing indigenous uh, communities in the in the yukon uh, have the ability to make a court, and only one of them has done it so far, that's Teslin. And uh, in BC, the Nishka have the authority under their agreement, their recognized agree- uh, authority to to have a court. Um, the Nuatsovit has it, Sioux Valley. But other than that, for the other self-governments, there may be a uh, <coughs> so an expectation that it'll be negotiated or dealt with later, but we're not quite there yet. So anyway, it's, it's a very, sort of, an, it's an evolving area. More First Nations move to, develop laws, enact laws, make laws in accordance with their own Indigenous legal traditions and and is recognized through agreements um, with other governments, then there's going to be a need for a place for these laws and issues to be resolved. It matters rising under these laws to be resolved.
1: Earlier this morning, we were talking with uh, the Honourable Stephen Point, and it's a tricky balance between the Western or colonial model of courts for the legal system writ large and Indigenous traditions methods of conflict resolution.
0: Absolutely. And this is a really, I mean, a really uh, fundamental sort of development in, in Canada because prior to colonization, prior to, to Canada becoming the country, and we know it today, uh, the all of the different indigenous groups had what we would call indigenous legal orders, or indigenous legal traditions. In Canada, when the explorers and the colonizers came here, they brought with them their rules and laws. So they brought a tradition that we call the common law, from uh, from from England, and they brought a, the civil civil law system, which is sort of the indigenous not the indigenous, it's the, the the European um, uh, legal order or, or you know like a tradition for, from Europe, and and those the common law or the civil law. Uh, themselves evolved from you know dozens of different sorts of legal traditions that were in those countries because uh, that that are now countries and over time. So uh, in England, it was in the medieval period, so the common law sort of crystallized, and and then later with the Napoleonic period for the uh, for the French civil civil code, uh, and then countries around the world have adopted those. So like countries like uh, Japan and Russia in the 19th and 20th centuries adopted legal traditions that weren't their own in order to actually compete and be a part of a broader sort of world economy and so forth. So anyway, in, in Canada, we have indigenous legal traditions. And, and although in, at this point sort of our, our kind of formally and how it's set out in our constitution and so forth, we've got, this, we've got the common law and the civil law. We have indigenous legal order. So the courts, the, the non-indigenous courts are trying to figure out how to kind of recognize and incorporate indigenous traditions into their um, adjudicating processes, and it's it's not easy because there's lot there's 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 dozens of differences, you know indigenous groups in Canada. I mean, depending again on the t- taxonomy you use, eighty maybe you know depending on ling- linguistic, cultural, traditional t- ties that you could say, okay, that is a that would that would that would be a distinct indigenous legal order. So it's going to be very it's really and so it's going to be really interesting over time how this sort of multi, what we call like a, a multi-jural system operates multi it's called like you know plural, uh, legal pluralism right there's these terms that are used to describe this and and it's going to be really it's, it's and it's and for me you know as sort of as a non-indigenous person looking at it and working with indigenous communities it's very fascinating because it's it, globally it's it's something that is quite kind of unique in a in a way and how it's how it's a uh, how it's uh, how it's developing, um, and there is, and the other sort of really incredible thing is that we've got was incredible. I mean, it's important. <laughs> I mean, I'm exaggerating, but it's, but it, to me, it's incredible. I mean, it's, we now actually have law schools in Canada, and I think it's um, I, I may be wrong on these numbers, but I think it's maybe like nine out of the twelve that have some form of indigenous indigenous legal traditions teaching. And there's actually a, a university degree that you can get in, in, in this at University of Victoria. And there's some incredibly amazing uh, scholars like indigenous legal scholars, people like John Burroughs and Val Napoleon that are, that are you know kind of leading the way in helping us to understand what indigenous legal traditions means for indigenous nations that are rebuilding in this period of transition from decolonization, but also what it means more broadly for our country, like for Canada as a whole. And I think that's what I think is, that's what gets me excited about about this, because it's not just about. I mean, it is about making sure we have proper indigenous dispute resolution mechanisms, courts, and so forth, and, and that they're kind of structured properly within our in our justice system in Canada. But it's also that those systems are respecting the indigenous legal orders and traditions, um, at the same time still being a part of this overarching sort of common law and, and civil law structure that we have in Canada.
1: Within the system itself, is there an increasing number of participants in the way of indigenous judges, indigenous? Defense attorneys, Indigenous prosecutors. I know in the Maritimes, uh, the Mi'kmaq are, are really celebrating the fact that an increasing number of young, obviously very talented, Indigenous people are getting involved in law and becoming lawyers.
0: Yeah. So, as a good question, because it kind of raises another related issue, right? So, do you do you train do you, do you train and and get people ready to Officers of the court, which is what they're all called, right? Like practitioners in the non-indigenous legal system, like go to the law schools and 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 you know go to go to you know uh, get your degree and go to law school and and uh, and the then, then do your league. and then do your articling and all the rest of it. So, so um or and and so and they yeah for sure yes absolutely you know we, there's more I mean my my uh, my father-in-law my my wife my wife sister i guess my uh, sister in law you know they're all lawyers and uh, and do that and there's when we've seen it when we have a we have a um uh, an increasing number of indigenous people from indigenous background that are that are in the law but which law right so so that that so what's what what for me when i kind of look at how uh the institutions or how the indigenous participation is working within uh, our system right now there's like participation within the existing provincial and federal institutions and so that's where you're you know you're looking to see to have lawyers and and judges and so forth who are indigenous to bring those perspectives into those systems and then there's sort of like a another level where the the non-indigenous system you know provincial or federal mostly provincial will Will establish something that we would call an indigenous court, but it's within the jurisdiction of the province or the or the federal government. I mean, mostly the provincial government. Um, so it's not it's not under indigenous law that creates the 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 court or the system, but it has an element to it which brings into it sort of ways of conducting itself that are more. Customary to things that are uh, would be seen as a way to do stuff and uh, do 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 the business in an indigenous way and and to and to bring things through. so but it's still so that's and in that system you know you have a, a significant number obviously of indigenous people that are working on it they could be the same people that were working just you know in the generally in the other courts or other system before. and then there is this what I was just talking about earlier which is like this third category of participation which is where under indigenous lawmaking authority recognized jurisdiction you're establishing a court you're establishing you know uh, adjudicatory bodies that are dealing with matters under indigenous law, so it 's actually the institutions actually created by the indigenous law and and uh, and it 's it's structured in a way which is appropriate but I would predict you know that we 're going to see more of those i mean there 's people that are afraid of it is there the political courage to do it? is there the capacity you know in terms of the the costs associated with it and then there 's what is the relationship between these institutions uh, between those that might be established by an indigenous you know, governing body and those that are, uh, you know, the the broader system, like about pe- how where decisions get appealed and all this sort of thing, and how they how they relate to one another. So it, be- it can become quite complex. But on a on a very simplistic level, it's about what is the best way to bring order back to society and to have a place where you go to do that. Like throughout world history, all societies have a way to bring order back to society, um, and that's kind of what we're talking about. And the courts in our system, in the, in the, in the, I guess, in the, the Western system, is where you go. Uh, when you need to really get something resolved or have somebody make a decision and issue an order and then there's consequences from that order, right? So.
1: Yesterday, one of the proposals brought forward was to, uh, perhaps after this conversation this week, have a, a national coalition or a national partnership, an intense lobbying effort, I guess, to follow through to make some progress and find some solutions. You know, you're coming out that cold. I haven't warned you yeah. about this, but d- does that make sense from your point of view?
0: <laughs> well, I think so. I, th- I mean, yeah, because you... you you need to have i mean ultimately the law is the law i guess that's a bit of a trite thing to say but the but the point is is that you need it's also political it's social right i mean it's 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 it, we make law to establish the institutions that make law interpret law that adjudicate law that prosecute, and so forth so so it's all i mean we're we're social beings, so in this country we need to have a conversation about how we actually structure our fundamental institutions of the country. And so yes, that's at a very high level, and you know as i was saying, do you have is there the political courage to do it? Is there the is there the um, you know the will to do it, and you know and 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 the rec- recognizing that there's a need or a growing need to do it. Like I say, you need to have political buy-in and you need to, there's all sorts of public policy issues. Like I'm just touching the surface of the things that you would have to think about, you know, if you drill down into what yeah. we're talking about right now. And that complexity scares the hell out of some people and all sorts of power thing, right? God, you I mean, if we, you know, if we recognize this incredible level of power and this and decision-making, what's going to happen and so forth. But I mean, you know, one of the things that uh, I think I've learned in my experiences for what it's worth over the years is that uh, there can be a lot that can be learned from the non-indigenous system a lot a lot can be learned by the by the non-indigenous system for indigenous systems and ways of conducting business and ways of resolving disputes you know having seen some of that firsthand uh, uh, in Ottawa when I was sort of hanging out here over the last number of years why Well, my wife was going through some of the issues she had to deal with, and she was always, you know, saying that there's a my saying, you know, it's you know, you you come to Ottawa and you you expect to, you know, to try and have the indigenous systems uh, respected, but really you want to actually have the system in Ottawa actually use those systems or look at them more broadly, as opposed to you know seeking a place to get authority for doing what we need to do. Well, maybe you know it should be a bit more reflective, and I think that was you know part of all of our experiences of. Of being involved on the political side of this, but ultimately these questions are ones that politically have to be made about how this all works itself through.
1: Well, why don't we wrap up with this? And You mentioned political buy-in, and as you know, timing is everything. And at some point, we're going to have a federal election soon. I wonder if it's it's helpful to bend the ear of a politician now or, <laughs> or yeah,
0: later. I think I think I think so. I mean, I'm not I'm I'm a. Uh, I mean, in terms of uh, political parties and political. Positions and so forth. I think this type of, like, you know, nation rebuilding, both rebuilding indigenous nations and and also strengthening our cooperative federalism, because that's what this is about. It's about strengthening cooperative federalism and the way we operate as a country. I like to think, and maybe I'm, you know, one of these kind of naive people, or, or that it, it shouldn't really matter. But you you bend everybody's ear. You bend everybody's ear that you need to bend in order to be able to have a conversation about something that. You know, it's pretty fundamental to where we're going as a, as a country. And, you know, I should just point this out. When we're talking about courts, like just to the south of us, and it's a different system. And they, uh, it's a different system. It's a different, different history. Uh, it's not a different system because it's a common law system in the United States, except for one place they have civil there too. But, but, it's a, but, it's, but the tribes in the States, and they're called tribes in the States, we use that word, uh, on their reservations, which is the words that they use to sure. describe their lands there. If I was to ask you, how many courts do you think there are, like tribal courts in the United States? Just have a guess. Would never clue. I know. Yeah,
1: I'm going to say. I'm going to guess low.
0: Four hundred. So <laughs> if I've got time on this the yeah, podcast, I yeah, sure. yeah, just. I mean, it's a. I, I had the the pleasure of, or opportunity to travel with uh, with Jody to um, uh, when she visited the, the Navajo because uh, she was the Attorney General and they have uh, for Canada and they have an Attorney General in their legal system, right? And so we we went to uh, we went. Well, she went there and I followed. I went with her, right? And um, and I, I had the opportunity of talking to their, to their chief justice of their court, and, I, and I, I can't remember exactly how I put it. I said, I mean, you must, I mean, it must be really great that you're able to do this and, 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 and um, you know, always recognize that you can do it. And she kind of put me in my place a little bit, and she said, um, she said well, it's, it's not really from choice. We, we had no choice. We had no other place to go. If we didn't establish this court that we were sitting in, and and well, we weren't, we weren't talking in the back. We were outside, but you know, we're sitting in their court as as it was proceeding, and um, and they had to establish it like the other tribes because there was no place to go. There was no, the way their system was; there, there, it wasn't available to them in the in their in their in their local courts, in their state courts, and, and and federal and so forth. So they had to had to create their own under their you know domestic sovereignty. They had to create their own systems, and that's why you have so many. And, you know, for a lot of the tribes in the United States that are just on the border with Canada, on the U.S. side, those, those, those nations have, have courts, right? So, other, I didn't mention this, but one of the courts that's operating, has been for years, is one in Aquasasne, right? So, and so, on, on, the, on the U.S. side in St. Regis, they have a court and they have one in Canada too. And it's done technically, it's done, they exercise their right and make their own law. They don't get authority to it but then canada cross appoints um, their justices through the jb process that they have under the indian i don't get into all the detail of it but it works right in practice it works and they and it's a really so that one and Tesla, i guess are probably the the two sort of examples in canada and there's like 400 more in the states but all across that all, all right up to the border, like. Uh, So the Blackfoot or the Blackfeeters are called in the in the in the in the the states they have it they have a tribal court so you could go along the border and see that and there this they would be similar indigenous legal traditions for the same nation the same people who who, you know, before that artificial boundary was put, drawn across, right. you know, drawn across North America, they would have, you know, on the same side. I just, there's there's a lot of activity, there's lots of things going on. So this, today, really, here at the at the Lands Advisory Board Conference is just to sort of raise some ideas and thoughts about what we might do in the future, like potentially create, you know, how we could create more First Nation courts or work cooperatively if it's not, a, you know, efficient or effective to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds. You know, maybe we, in this country, we have the ability, a bit different in the United States, to use federal Legislation to help create sectoral governance initiatives that could, you know, could we could use that. We could actually, we actually could use the, you know, federal government under under the Section One Hundred One power in the Canadian Constitution to create a Indigenous court, but do it more so in terms of so even though it's created federally or it's a federally established, it's it really is run and the way the legislation is done and its jurisdiction is set out in a way which really meets the needs of Indigenous uh, communities and how appointments are made for the judges or whatever they might be called. Um, In that system, and these are all ideas, right? Nobody, and these are just these are these are ideas. We'll see where they might go, go in the future. But right now in Canada, like the federal government, we have under that power, they created the Supreme Court of Canada. That's where our made. That's where everything goes up to at the end of the day. And they created the federal court, the federal court of appeal, and the tax court. So you know they could create another one if they wanted to. But again, it's political will and. And there being a need and and dealing with it, and that's just one of the options. So there's a number of options. There's a number of options to look at, right? That to how you do this. But all we know is that as more nations uh, move towards self, well, as they self determine to become self governing and you know avail themselves of the rights that are recognized, and this is in the UNDRIP as well. The United Nations Declaration has a has a. Um, has an article that deals with justice systems and indigenous rights with respect to justice systems. Well, the more we do that, and the more indigenous laws are being made, and whether or not they're under land codes under the uh, framework agreement on land management, or they are through other other mechanisms, mechanisms, we're going to need places, proper places for them to be for decisions to be heard. Yeah,
1: fascinating stuff. Yeah, thank you, Tim. You bet. Stay tuned as we bring you further coverage from the National Conference on the Enforcement of First Nation Laws. Look for updated social media links and website content. I'll put a link in the show notes to the conference website in particular, where you'll find a wealth of resource materials and follow-up information. It's all about finding solutions and taking real steps to restoring Indigenous justice systems. Thank you for continuing to support the Land Decolonized podcast and for sharing it with friends and colleagues. I'm Richard Perry.